Good. Well, my prayer for each of us this morning is that we would leave here today more in love with Jesus than when we woke up this morning. That we would leave here today more excited about the mission that God has for us. Amen. Well, my name is Nick, and I'm visiting you guys today from First Baptist Church, Windermere. So thank you guys so much for the warm welcome. Um, happy Father's Day. Uh, I do want to show you guys a picture of my clan, my family here. Uh, I think there they are. That's my girls. That's the, the three that made me a father. Uh, my wife Rachel and I have been married for six years. Uh, she is absolutely the best part of me by far. Okay, there's no competition. The little blonde one there, Savannah, she is three years old and she's a Spitfire. And then Sadie is four months old. So sleep is not happening in our house right now, as parents would understand, right? In fact, Sadie wanted to spend quality time with Dad at 1 a.m. last night and 2.30 a.m. and then again at 4. So, you know, happy Father's Day. <laughs> uh, Savannah, yeah, she's quite the personality. She told me this morning, uh, happy Father's Day. Um, and I think that might have been on purpose. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> so we're going to be in the book of Matthew today, if you guys like to follow along. And I'm going to be uh, a little bit through the book, but we're going to be in chapter 9, the longest, if you guys want to go there. Uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first of the four Gospels. So if you just flip open your Bible and you end up in Mark, Luke, or John, you've gone too far. If you go to a name you can't pronounce, just flip a little bit further. You're almost there. But Matthew was written by a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And Matthew, before he met Jesus, was a tax collector, which means he had a lot of money, but it also means that he didn't have a lot of friends. And then along came Jesus. And Jesus called him to be his follower, to give up what he had to follow Jesus into something new. And so Matthew spent the next three and a half years walking with Jesus, watching him teach, watching him heal people, care for people, and love people. And he saw a little bit about what God was like. And then he watched his friend Jesus be crucified. He watched him be buried, but only to see him risen again. And when Matthew saw the risen Jesus, when he saw his friend back, he knew that everything Jesus had taught was true. He knew that Jesus really was the Son of God, that Jesus really was the long-awaited Messiah. And so he knew he had to write down his account, his story of who Jesus was, because he wanted generations to come. He wanted you and I to read it and to see what Matthew saw and to believe what he believed. So Matthew would tell you, I didn't write this just so you would memorize the words. Jesus doesn't want you to just know about the story. He wants you to be a part of the story. He wants you to take an active role in his mission here in the world. And so that's our bottom line this morning, guys. You are a part of the story. Everybody in this room, you are a huge part of Jesus' story. So I want to jump right in to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. We're going to see Jesus call two of his disciples. It says, As he, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them and I will make you fish for people. And, you know, Peter and Andrew, they would stop here, and they would say, man, this just blew us away. And here we are minding our own business, and here comes Jesus. We had heard a little bit about him. We knew, that, we knew that he had been teaching, that people were saying, this guy teaches with authority. He's different from the rest. And Matthew would say, this was totally out of the ordinary. You see, there were, there were rabbis back in the time of Jesus. I'm sorry, the Jewish boys in the time of Jesus, they would go to school and they would learn about the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. They would learn about the word of God. 
And then the very best students, the best of the best, they'd get called up to the varsity squad. And they would go and they would find themselves a rabbi in their hometown that they could disciple under. And they would go and they would humbly sit at his feet and say, I want to be your disciple. And the rabbi might, you know, question him, see if he's good enough. And if he was, then he'd bring him along as his disciple. And if he wasn't, then they run to something else, a fisherman, a tax collector, something else. You know, we can kind of understand a little bit what Peter and Andrew might have felt like that day. If you've ever been at work and your, your boss comes in and says, hey, I want you to take on this new project. I want you to work on this new task. And you think, I'm not, I'm not qualified at all for that. I, I can't do that. But when your boss sees you and he, he believes in you, it gives you some confidence. You know, I've got to make a confession to you guys today. I'm not a pastor. And some of you aren't surprised. It's okay. <laughs> but about a year and a half ago, our senior pastor, he called myself and some other guys together and he, uh, he started to invest in us and teach us. He wanted to see if any of us had a call towards ministry, towards something a little different, something bigger than ourselves. And I was blown away. I went to school to be an electrician. This isn't something that I thought I could do, but I jumped at it because it was something that I knew Jesus was calling. And Peter and Andrew, they saw it too. It says immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. You know, I think Peter and Andrew, they might not have known what that whole fish for people thing meant, they weren't 100% sure, but they could see something in Jesus, and they could see something in themselves that Jesus would bring out. And our calling now is still the same. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to take a part of the story. And your part isn't to just sit in the chairs on Sunday morning. It's not to just listen to Z88 in the car. And your part is to be my disciple, to follow me, to reflect my love, my grace, my truth to the world. See, people would say about the disciples of different rabbis back in that time, they would say that if they followed their rabbi close enough, if they did a good enough job, they were covered in the dust of their rabbi. And Jesus says, I want you to be covered in my dust. Walk like I walk, talk like I talk, love people like I love people. In John 15, 8, Jesus said that, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to, me by, prove to be my disciples. We need to live our lives in such a way that people find it attractive. People go, what is going on in, the, in their life? What do they have that I don't? And we make more disciples. So the question is, though, and this is where I want to park for a little while this morning, is where is my mission field? Where am I called to be this disciple on mission? And so to do that, I'm going to go all the way from chapter 4 back to chapter 28. We're going to see Matthew record some words of Jesus. And this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And he says to his followers, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a big statement. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm supreme. I'm top dog. Everything falls under me. So what I'm going to say next, pay attention to. He says, he says, go and make disciples. Because I'm supreme, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's a great verse, and we hear it often in church. A lot of times we hear it regarding international mission trips, or even just other mission trips. And that's a huge part of our mission. It's exciting. Uh, our church just had a group go out to Burundi, Africa. And there they got to provide uh, resources to a, much, a community that very much needed it. They got to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they got to take the gospel to people that had never heard it. And it doesn't have to be international. I had some friends move from their homes in Kentucky to go live on a Native American reservation in Arizona. And they, they live there now. They planted a church there. 
And that's a very lost, poor area of our own nation. And they are there serving Jesus and living it out, not through just words, but through their actions. And it's exciting. We should celebrate those things. But it's not the whole story. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The only thing you need to know about this place is, is Jesus isn't just calling us to the ends of the earth. He told his disciples, be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. It was their hometown. So Jesus is calling you to be a witness right where you are right now. So one cool thing that my church has done is they've identified a geographical area in central Florida that we've said that this is a place we feel God has called us to witness to our community, to love people there, that he's taken each of us with our different times and talents, treasures, experiences, personalities, and brought us to that area. And so that area stretches from Highway 27 to Hiawassee and 192 to Silver Star. And what you need to know about that area is there are 330,000 people living there. Some of you might think I'm even lowballing that number because you've been on I-4 Monday through Friday and you know what that's like, but about 330,000 people. Out of those people, we think that there's 80%, our best estimate is 80% are not in a Christian church on Sunday morning. A lot of empty chairs around us in any church we go into. If you don't want to do the math like me, that's 264,000 people that likely do not know Jesus. And that's a big, scary number. But we know this. The church doesn't rest in a building. Amen? The church, if it did, 264,000 people would have to come through our doors here and at Real Life and at First Baptist Windermere and all these other churches to, it be, to meet Jesus. That would never happen. But we get to each be the church when we go out, when we leave here today. We get to be the church and we get to introduce people to who Jesus is everywhere we are. Okay, Nick, so if that's the case, then is it really based on geography? I don't think so. I think our mission field is based on people based on people because it's based on who you're with and it's based on who you are because you're going to encounter different people than I am and you have been raised different than me you have a different personality than me you might be more outspoken than I am uh, you maybe grew up in the church where some of us were far from God and had to hit rock bottom before we felt what grace tastes like you're going to impact people differently with your unique story and your unique mission field so where do we go well, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Well, you go to work. Most of us have jobs. We go to school. We go to our neighborhoods. We might go watch the kids play ball at a sports field. Not my kids, not coordinated enough. <laughs> we go to our homes and we sit around our dining room table with our family. Do not miss this. If you are a child, a parent, a spouse, your first mission field is your family. And I say that because so many of us, we overlook it. We end up getting, we look out, but we forget to look in at our family. And God has given you a role there that cannot be taken by anybody else. That is your first mission field. So your mission field is going to look different than mine and the person sitting next to you. But I know one thing that all of them have in common. People are hurting. There are people in each of our mission fields everywhere we go that are hurting. And you might say, no, Nick, that might be true for you, but you know, I surround myself with happy, positive people. Everybody's good all the time. I don't believe you. I work at the happiest place on earth. It's magical there 24-7, 365 days, right? Yeah? I know there are people there 
that are hurting. I know there are. But see, people have gotten really good. I went too far. I'm not used to the clicker. I hope I don't throw it at anybody. <laughs> people have gotten really good at hiding our hurts. We only want people to see the good things about us. If you've been in a relationship for a while, think back to your first date. I remember uh, before taking Rachel out, I had to go get myself a brand new outfit because I couldn't rock the jean shorts and the Florida Gator t-shirt anymore. I knew that wouldn't fly for this. Um, I washed the car. I even like scrubbed the tires. Um, I cleaned the inside. I vacuumed underneath the seats and was like, that is way too many french fries. I have a problem, but I'll address that later. Um, when we went out to eat, I was very careful about what I ordered because I didn't want to, you know, I'm a habitual spiller. I didn't want to make a mess. And as we were talking, I only told the best parts of me. I told her about, well, date Nick. I wanted her to see all the good things. I didn't want her to know about the mistakes I've made or the past I've had. In reality, I was wearing a mask. And she was too. And we've grown the most over the years when we've let our guard down. We've taken the mask off. We've gotten to know each other. I've shown her what hurts me. I've shown her my past. That's when we've grown. See, it's 2019, guys, with things like Facebook and Instagram, you can literally and figuratively put a filter on your life. People only show our family and friends the good things. We've got it all together. Everything's good. Every, uh, this weekend was great. Uh, how many of you have been in this situation or maybe seen this situation when you're out? Uh, you're out having a good time with your family, and you want to show people how good it's going, so you go to take a picture of your kids, right? And you end up in this conversation. Okay. No, you need to smile. No, your real smile. Okay, you can go home and go to bed if you're not having fun. Okay, all right, fine. I'll give you a cookie if you just smile for one picture. Okay, all right. And take that picture. And let's see, I'll post that. Hashtag best life. Hashtag always smiling. Be joyful. Set. That's nobody else? <laughs> well, it's me. That's a true story. Uh, see, picture on the left, that's before the talk. <laughs> and after the talk, when she knew she was getting a cookie. But see, we start to realize that there are people all around us that are so busy walking around faking the smile. Everything's good. I've got it all together. Whereas on the inside, they're insecure. They're hurting. They're wearing a mask. And they're keeping people at arm's length because you don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know what I've done. And if you did, you couldn't love me. You wouldn't be able to love me. But Jesus sees behind the mask. He sees behind each of our masks, no matter how we try to cover up. So we're in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus and his disciples, they're in the area of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick this up. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus could see behind the mask. He could see the needs of the people. And then Matthew writes that Jesus had compassion for them. And that word compassion, it's not really strong enough in the English language. What it really translates to is Jesus ached for them. He felt real physical pain when he saw how people were hurting. And I'm so thankful that Matthew included that because it shows me what God is really like. It shows me that when I'm having the bad day or the bad week or the bad year, God's not distant from me. He's right there with me. 
He wants to show me compassion. He wants to love me. He wants to help me through it. Jesus could see their needs. And all people have two types of needs. The first is we have felt needs. Felt needs. And see, Matthew writes that the people were distressed. They were dejected. Jesus looked out and he saw people that were suffering from anxiety, from sorrow, from pain. He saw people that had lost their jobs. He saw people that were battling with their kids. He saw people that had broken relationships. And we all understand these kind of things because we've all felt them before. I'm going to ask kind of a tough question, but just bear with me. If you have ever watched somebody, a loved one, suffer through cancer or another type of disease, would you raise your hand? And even such a small room, all those hands go up. And I know that's a tough question to ask and to think about, but I bring it up because what I want us to see is that when those hands go up, we all feel that compassion. We all hurt for our family. We all hurt for our friends when we see that. Jesus did too. We need to know people to be able to see these, though, to see these types of needs. But there's another need that everybody has, and it's the real need. And this is where Christians, we get kind of awkward. We get a little uncomfortable sometimes. We don't want to talk about it. But the truth is this. Every single person that we come into contact with, every person that Jesus looked out and saw in that crowd, is either going to spend the rest of their life under Jesus' guidance, following and chasing after him, or wandering like a sheep without a shepherd. And everybody we meet is going to spend eternity in God's glory, worshiping him, or spend eternity apart from him. And our hearts should break for that. We should be on our knees in prayer every night for the people around us that do not know the hope that we know in Jesus. Just like we saw the hands go up, for those that suffered through cancer, and we all felt that, we should feel it a hundred times, a thousand times more for this need that people have. But Christians, we've got a couple masks that we tend to put on ourselves. And uh, see, Josh said we're all family here, so there's kind of a safe space. So I think we should be able to confront these together and recognize them so that we don't put them on ourselves. Okay? So the first one I like to call the Batman mask. This is mostly because my wife can bet me I could work Batman into my sermon. But this is the mask we put on and wear when we treat our Christianity like a secret identity. So if we go to church on Sunday mornings and we worship God, we listen to Z88 in the car and everything's good, but then we go to work and, well, I don't want to talk about it here. This probably isn't the place. I might make things awkward with my friend. You know, I can get in trouble with my boss. You know, I, I come in and I tell Bob, hey, you got to check out this new restaurant I went to this weekend. It was so, ex- it was amazing. The food was awesome. Uh, are you watching that new series on TV? It's amazing. It's changing my life. Let me show you a picture of my wife and my kids. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the most important thing in our life, we treat it like a secret love affair. We, we hide it. We cover it up. There's another mask we wear. And this one's called the holier-than-thou mask. And this is what we wear when we are more busy pointing to our crown than we are pointing to Jesus. We're more interested in telling people about our opinions than we are introducing them to Jesus. This is what we wear when we're busy telling people, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you've messed up, you've messed up, I've done it right, you should follow me, I've got it all good. And it just turns people away. Because that is not who Jesus is. That is not what Jesus is like. Matthew writes that Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom while healing. 
He addressed the felt needs of the people. He took care of them physically, but all while pointing to God, his Father, and pointing to himself, saying, I can change your life from now through eternity. See, Jesus knew that people need help. People need help. And in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38, we see Jesus lay out God's plan. It says, my my clicker's not working. There we go. I'm just going to give it to you. You take care of me. I know you will. (laughs) In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's that? Jesus. Pray to me to send out workers into my harvest. 264,000 people, the harvest is abundant. And if you've been around church long enough, you know there's not enough of us. There's not enough workers out there. So Jesus says, pray to me to send more workers out. So we we have to know God's plan. The first part is this. He has made the harvest ready. It's done. It's ready. He says that the harvest is abundant. I'm just looking for people that are willing to go and be there. And so if the harvest is ready, then we need to know a couple things. The first is we can take a little bit of pressure off ourselves. What I mean is we can tend to beat ourselves up quite a bit sometimes when we don't get it right. See, I, a few months ago, I started praying a little differently when I head into work. I started praying, God, please just use me, use me tonight. God, bring somebody to me, bring somebody in my office that I can share my faith with, that I can introduce to you. God, let me see them with your eyes, God. Please just use me tonight. And then sometimes I find myself driving home, and I'm praying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You brought that person into my office. He only needed a few more minutes of my time, but I was concerned with myself. I was wearing the Batman mask. I'm sorry. God has always used imperfect people for his perfect purpose. And he will give you another shot. We just have to keep going. And when the next time that situation rolls around, we learn to lean further into the spirit, lean into God, than rely on ourselves. The next thing we need to know, too, is if the harvest is ready, then let's stop overcomplicating the mission. Because people say, you know, I can't, I can't share my faith. I haven't been to seminary. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Do I need, like, a PowerPoint presentation? Um, if, I, if I lay something out, do all the words need to start with the same letter? You know, is that how people get saved? No. We can't overcomplicate it. We just need to just be with people, be willing to go. One of my favorite authors and speakers is uh, Bob Goff. And he's just an amazing example of what loving people looks like. And in his book, Everybody Always, he wrote, stop seeing people as ministry opportunities. Stop calling everything we do ministry and just call it a Tuesday. Just be with a person and love them. You don't need the PowerPoint presentation. You don't need the theology textbooks. The most powerful tool you have is your story because it's totally unique. And God has crafted it so you could share it with other people and they could see the work of God in your life. But we have to be able to take the mask off to let our guard down and share it with people. You know, I love sharing my story uh, with others. I, I point back to 10, no, I'm sorry, 20 years ago when my mom was first diagnosed with cancer. And I can tell people, you know, this was one of the hardest times in my life. Even more so, it was one of the darkest times for my mom. But as a kid, I watched my mom praise God and thank God, even as she was struggling through the toughest time she had ever been through. And so when she passed away, and I was scared, 
I was sad, everything else. I was hurting. There was nowhere else to turn but to God because my mom had taught me who Jesus was. And so I love being able to share with people that story. But I also have to share 10 years ago when I was older and I had totally turned my back on who God was calling me to be and what God had in my life. See, I got more concerned with my stuff, uh, my ambition, what I want to do, not what God wants. It's all about me. And it didn't lead anywhere. But when I turned to go back to God, he was right there. Jesus was there, arms wide open. He never left me. So I get to share with people that my God is full of grace and love and truth. He showed me a lot of truth in that time too. But my God, he redeems people. That's part of my story. It's the most powerful tool that you have. The next part of God's plan is we pray for more workers. Simple as that. Pray for more workers. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more people into the harvest that love me, that love my kingdom, and that love people. And what I want you guys to know in that verse is it doesn't say pray for more pastors. It doesn't say pray for more seminary graduates or theology degrees. It says pray for more workers, more willing people. One of my favorite accounts in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they've been out preaching the good news. They've been telling people their story about who Jesus is. And they're arrested. And after they're arrested, they're taken in front of a religious council. And a crowd begins to gather because they want to hear how Peter and John are going to defend themselves and what they have to say. And we read in Acts chapter 4 that the crowds were amazed. And verse 13 tells us why. It says, When the crowds observed that Peter used a real men love Jesus mug, they were amazed. No, I'm sorry. This is the New Message translation, I think. Sorry, wrong one. It says, When they observed that Peter and John went to church every week, they were amazed. No, that's not what it says. Peter and John went before this religious council, and they saw the crowds gather, and they continued to preach the name of Jesus. They continued to share with people how Jesus had worked in their life. And it says that when the crowd saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They didn't have to wear a I'm a Christian t-shirt. Their lives showed who Jesus was. People could see that they were covered with the dust of their rabbi. And because they were willing to step out of their comfort zones, because they were willing to show people how Jesus had worked in their life, they got to share the greatest message in the history of the world. Christ offers hope. Guys, everywhere you go, there are people that are hurting. There are people that need help. But Christ offers hope. The Apostle Paul, he wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. So we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And I'd encourage you to go home and read chapter 5 if you haven't read it recently. It's just an amazing spelling out of God's mission for the world. But to recap, Paul says that God sent us Jesus to reconcile the world back to God. But then the craziest thing happens. He leaves that message with us. It says in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Us, in this room, right now, disciples on mission, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead and we beg on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Church, if you didn't feel important getting out of bed this morning, being called an ambassador for the Son of God ought to do it for you. 
what an amazing responsibility that we have. See, I was pretty nervous driving here this morning. I'm nervous every time I get up to do this. I think, how on earth could anybody trust me to stand up and deliver a message to anybody about God? I'm not qualified for this. And it's okay if you agree, Pastor Tony will be back. (laughs) But isn't it even crazier that God left the most important message ever to a group of messed up, broken sinners? But that's our part of the story. Because who better to share with people that God is full of love and grace and redemption than people that needed and received love and grace and redemption? That is our part of the story, and there is no one better to tell it. So we just have to consider what kind of ambassador do we want to be? Because people are going to judge Jesus on those that stand up every day and say, I follow Jesus. And they should. Jesus trusted us with that. Jesus says, when you take those masks off, when you stop worrying about yourself, when you just follow me with everything you have and reflect me, people are going to see the love of God in your life. And it's going to change people. See, we are the ambassadors. And we are the harvesters. Every person in this room, you are a harvester. You are the harvester that Jesus talked about when he looked at the crowds. You are the harvesters that people have prayed for in this area for years to come to Claremont and Ocoee and Winter Garden and and Four Corners and all these areas and take the gospel to people. People have prayed for you. and You're here. You're the harvesters. And our job is to reflect Jesus, to beg and to plead with people, be reconciled to God. I have a hope in my life that you need to know about. This will change everything about you and will change your eternity. I was trying to think this week about some examples of harvesters and there's some great people in the Bible that we could look at. But I really, I thought about a couple of my friends that are very different from each other. Uh, My friend Marcio, he's the very outgoing person. He's an extrovert to the max, personality type A. Every time we go anywhere together, he's talking to everybody, there's no stranger. He reads people's name tags, calls them by their name when he sees it. But he does it with such an authenticity that you can see people's face light up when he talks to them that they're realizing that this isn't just the normal, hey, how you doing? Oh, good. They see that they're being seen right now. They're cared for. And because of that, he's been able to form relationships with total strangers and show them a little bit of Jesus in their lives. But being an extrovert is not a qualification of being a harvester. Because I can also think of my friend, my brother-in-law, Ryan, totally not an extrovert. In fact, just... Just a couple weeks ago, we were on a Disney boat traveling from resort to the park, and he was sitting in the very back of the boat with his son on the lap. His son is the one that talks to everybody. And he is just like, he's got like a presentation going on back there. All the, everybody in the back of the boat's looking at this boy talking, and my brother-in-law is turning red because this is not where he wants to be. <laughs> this is, he's so uncomfortable. He's not an extrovert, but he has a servant's heart. Ryan is the first one that when someone asks him for help, you know, I need help moving, Uh, it's midnight, my air conditioning's broken, he goes and he helps his neighbor, he helps his friend, whoever it is. And so he gets to show people Jesus' servant heart. He gets to show people what that looks like. But even though he's not an extrovert, that hasn't kept him from being bold. In fact, the last few months, he's been talking with somebody at work, a mutual friend of ours, and just answering some of his questions about who Jesus is and, and what he's like, sharing his story. 
And because of that, that friend is now going to a church for the first time in his adult life. He's asking the right questions, and God willing, he will know Jesus. And he will stand in front of Jesus one day, covered in his righteousness. And Ryan will know that he got to be a part of that story. See, Brian and Marcio, they're not doing anything overly complicated. They're just letting their light shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. And the thing about light is, no matter how much it's surrounded by darkness, it doesn't fade away. In fact, it shines brighter. While darkness is busy covering up and hiding, light points to the truth and reveals it. And light inspires other light to shine. And light points back to its source. And the source we get to point back to is Jesus. We get to go into our workplace. We get to go into our neighborhoods, our communities. And we get to share with people that you don't need to put on the mask anymore. I don't need to put on the mask anymore. Jesus said, you don't need any of this anymore. Because I saw behind that mask and I knew you. While you were still a sinner, while you were still opposed to me, I died for you. I loved you that much. That's the hope that we get to share with people. 264,000 people. It's a lot. That's scary. But I want us to have a different number in our heart today as we go into prayer and as we leave here this morning, we go through our week, and that's one. Just one. Because God's heart has always been for the one. Jesus told the story of the lost sheep. He said, wouldn't it be better for the shepherd to leave the 99 found healthy sheep and go after the one lost one and celebrate when he finds it? And likewise, when one of us goes out from here and we share our story with someone and they come and they are restored by God, there is a party in heaven unlike anything any of us have ever seen. God's heart has always been for the one. Jesus went to the cross and he died for one just as he died for all of us. So who's your one? Who's that one name that's on your heart right now that you can't shake, that pops into your mind at 3 a.m.? Are you willing to let your guard down, to share your story? Are you willing to go all in for that person, just like Jesus went all in for you? So we're going to have a chance to respond this morning. ask everybody to just bow your heads in prayer. And I want you to just, for a moment, just think about that one individual and just offer that name up to God. Pray for that person's heart right now. we're all going to do this together. I want you to think of that name and everybody say it out loud. Tim. God, you've heard these names. You've known these hearts before the world was ever created. You see them and you love them even more than we ever could. God, I pray that right now you would do a work in them, that you would soften their hearts, God, and that you would bring people to them that are willing to show them Jesus, even if it's not us. God, we want to be a part of it. We want to be an instrument, but just bring people into their life that is willing to point to Jesus for them. And God, we pray, we pray that they would come to their knees and that they would know you and know the hope that you have.
God, I just lift up everybody in this church. I pray that each one of us would see ourselves not just as Christians in a chair on Sunday morning, but that we would see ourselves as ambassadors. That wherever it is that we are, whatever stage of life we are in, any place that you send us, we are an ambassador and we are going to work with everything we have as a harvester for your kingdom and for your glory. God, it is all for your name. It is all for your son. Thank you for sending him to us. Thank you for all that you mean in our lives. Amen.